Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Inside Foreign Politics, powered by Gannett. Governor Ron DeSantis is inaugurated for a second term. A Florida Republican competes with Kevin McCarthy to become U.S. House Speaker. And the governor's war on woke goes to college. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kenny and Palm Beach Post politics editor Antonio Finns. Welcome to our first Inside Florida Politics podcast of 2023. We'll get to the busy start of what is sure to be another busy year in Florida politics shortly. But first... You all know what that music means. Uh, It's time for some number picking. Happy New Year, gentlemen. I look forward to many great numbers from you in the new year. Antonio, what do you have for us to kick off 2023? I'm going to start off with an 81. All right. 81 from Antonio. How about you, John? Zach, I brought an even dozen to start the year. My number is 12. All right. And I'm going to cut that in half. My number is six. Remember those numbers, folks. Will you know what they mean in Florida politics? At the end of the show, on Tuesday, DeSantis took the oath of office for his second term on the steps of the old Capitol building in Tallahassee. Later that evening, he entertained guests at an inaugural ball and held other events over two days of festivities. The governor also delivered a short speech that vaguely touched on some of his policy priorities for his second term, which is being closely watched as a potential springboard to a 2024 presidential run. John, you attended the inauguration. What stuck out to you? Well, it sounds like uh, term two for DeSantis is going to be similar to what we've seen out of him for at least the last two years. Uh, you know, combative, headline-grabbing, performative politics where he plays the voters who support him while demonizing the opposition. Uh, maybe that's what politics in 2023 has become. But uh, DeSantis seems to like to think that he's masterful at what he's done. Uh, At least that was a lot of the theme of his second inaugural address, that that life in Florida under his leadership has been a success. And uh, people should be happy to be here and not somewhere else. Um, Along the way, of course, he he ridiculed other states, uh, undoubtedly blue states, that he claims uh, his quote was he grinded their citizens down in recent years. Uh, while he and Florida lifted people up. Uh, yeah, there and, was a lot of that, John, of, of comparing Florida to the to the rest of the nation, sort of make America Florida, right? Looking uh, potentially at, at uh, uh, trying to translate what he's done in Florida to the national state. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and you know, the, the, the pileup of, uh, you know, successes was uh, remarkable that he pointed to. You know, at, at one point, he said he'd weathered the storm, stood his ground, and did what's right, which, you know, managing to fit a trio of cliches into one sentence in his speech, that was, that was a highlight of his 16-minute speech to me. But uh, but but seriously, he, he drew a, a standing ovation from what he called his uh, family-friendly policies, which, uh, you know, seemed to be anchored by the parental rights legislation that critics, of course, have 
dismissed as don't say gay, but the uh, the audience of 3,000 mostly supporters that were outside the uh, historic old Capitol, uh, they, they roared when he promised to, uh, his quote was, defend our children against those who seek to rob them of their innocence. Um, so, you know, DeSantis also kept up the attack on the, the they, the generally, I guess, uh, the, the they are people who believe in what he calls faddish ideology. Uh, that's kind of a version of his anti-woke thing. But uh, but these they have harmed public safety by coddling criminals, he said. They've imposed unreasonable burdens on taxpayers with public spending. And they've harmed education by bowing to partisan interest groups, which uh, which I took to mean teachers unions. Um, and they've also imposed, as he said, medical authoritarianism in the guise of pandemic mandates, which, uh, you know, that fits into what is his growing uh, courting of the anti-vax wing of the Republican Party. So it wasn't exactly a, uh, you know, can't we all get along kind of speech, but rather it was a kind of muscle flexing appeal to those who uh, helped give him, you know, the biggest election landslide in the Florida governor's race in 40 years. It also wasn't exactly focused on state issues, was it, John? I mean, there wasn't like talk about affordable housing or po- property yeah. insurance or some of the real issues that are uh, are really uh, important in the state right now. A lot of people were think- saying that this looks like more focused on a national audience. Yeah, yeah. This was definitely, you know, uh, aimed at an audience far beyond uh, Tallahassee's Monroe Street. And, uh, you know, the capital uh, confines. Uh, But, you know, DeSantis seems to be working in Florida. Uh, I mean, you know, this kind of approach that he has been uh, advancing. So, uh, you know, we're going to see more DeSantis over the next four years. And and he's probably going to and he's going to be seeing more of uh, Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina and all these other early primary states where he'll keep themes that already seem to have been kind of, you know, viewer tested on Fox News. I, I think that connection for DeSantis to Fox News is uh, is critical. That, that's where he's going to uh, really amplify his national platform. So that's why uh, we're going to see these kind of, uh, you know, Fox friendly kind of uh, uh, issues become, you know, really central to his second term. But, um, you know, uh, another thing that made this national was, of course, you know, during his inaugural address, among the many enemies that he targeted was the federal government, which in this case can be translated into Joe Biden. So uh, while the inaugural address didn't include, you know, Zach, as you pointed out there, there was not a litany of promises for the coming year uh, that that will come later in his state of the state speech to legislators in March. But uh, DeSantis has got a you know rabid support base in Florida, and he thinks that's going to translate onto the national stage when he kicks off his widely expected presidential run, probably sometime soon after the legislation, uh, le- the legislative session ends uh, at the beginning of May. But um, that inaugural address, though, put to rest any thought that he would somehow moderate or try to play to the middle as he considers, uh, you know, himself ready for a White House run. Uh, it's going to be a crowded Republican Party prime, no doubt. And uh, the Trump-infused party uh, demands red meat. And uh, DeSantis showed this week that 
he can certainly serve that up. Yeah, talking about red meat, I think he mentioned fighting woke. Like uh, he said, woke three times in in uh, three sentences. He really, it does seem to be more of the same. The speech was, you know, fairly short. I think it was only about sixteen minutes, but it was a, a a very condensed distillation of what he's been talking about now for the better part of the last uh, two years. And really, it it did seem like. You know, for us who've been watching him uh, very closely, it was sort of more of the same. But it seems like he is really, you know, with the national spotlight on him for his second inauguration, trying to summarize a lot of what he's talked about. He let it off with sort of the free state of Florida thing that he talked about on the campaign and then all of the stuff he's done over the last few years. So it really did seem to be this sort of pitch of, hey, here's why I could be a, a contender nationally. Here's all the things that I've done. And here's here's my uh, sort of credo distilled uh, down into its essence. And we'll see uh, if that pitch uh, works for him uh, if he decides to make the leap. Well, while DeSantis was embarking on a second term, Republicans in the U.S. House were in disarray as they repeatedly tried and failed to choose a new speaker. Florida Republican Matt Gates led the charge against Kevin McCarthy getting the speaker's gavel, while another Florida Republican, Byron Donalds, emerged as an alternative to McCarthy uh, in the speaker's race. Antonio, this has been incredible to watch, as with many of the nation's uh, political dramas. Florida men are right in the middle of it. They are, and let's just say this. If we were to ask people to name the most prominent Florida Republicans, you probably hear names like DeSantis, Trump, Rubio, Scott, even Matt Gates, But I don't think the name Byron Donalds would have made the top of the list. But yet here was Donalds, the Naples Republican uh, congressman, who was in the spotlight on Wednesday throughout the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth rounds of, vo of speaker voting in the U.S. House chamber as a consensus alternative to California Congressman Kevin McCarthy. Now, I don't think that anyone who's ever gotten just 20 votes in any election, has ever gotten as much attention as Donald's, who was all over television as he vied to become the first African-American Speaker of the House by challenging McCarthy, although, albeit it was a long shot and not a successful campaign. But the ones who have been really successful here have been the 20 or so far-right zealots, partly led by another Florida man, Matt Gates, who have been able to stall McCarthy's ascension to the Speaker post if not outright blocked it. The first time in 100 years that a designated candidate for House Speaker did not win the post on the first and only round of voting. Even former President Trump got knocked around in this fray. After posting another call for unity behind McCarthy on Wednesday morning, Trump first got ridiculed by Gates in a tweet, and then he got lectured from the House podium by Colorado Congresswoman Lauren Boebert. Now, one thing I've been watching is Florida's delegation. So far, not one of them have broken ranks away from McCarthy. In fact, Gainesville Congresswoman Kat Kamek offered McCarthy's nomination ahead of the sixth ballot, which proved unsuccessful for McCarthy. He again only got 201 votes. He needs 218. Other so, than Byron Donalds, yeah. Antonio, Byron Donalds right, did exactly, flip yeah. his vote. Uh, originally, he voted for McCarthy on the first two ballots before voting for himself when, when he was yeah, uh, when he got, nominated. Yeah, well, well, actually, he got he, he actually voted for um, Jim Jordan the last ballot on Tuesday. And then, like you noted, he voted for himself on all on the three rounds yesterday when he was the alternative candidate, but other than Gates and Donalds, no other member of the Florida delegation has, has joined the, the rebellion here. Uh, now, which I, I think that's kind of a, a danger. Uh, for, uh, one, you know, one other, though, Anna Paulina Luna, actually, oh, right. she, she's uh, the, uh, 
which is interesting. Tampa uh, Congresswoman first, uh, you know, she's uh, this is her first term. She just was elected this last cycle. I guess she's a pretty staunch ally of Gates is considered very conservative, is involved with his Talking Points USA, which is like a youth conservative group. So it's interesting. There's three Florida Republicans who have been involved uh, in all of this, uh, who have resisted uh, McCarthy. Um, you know, it, it's and it's fascinating. You know, Trump, obviously, the, the head Florida man, they're they're uh, resisting his calls. I mean, Gates is as close to Trump as anybody in Congress, and he's just ignoring him. Yeah, no, and, and not only that, but firing back at Trump, too. So, yeah, so you got Luna, you've got uh, Donald and Gates, the three that have joined the rebellion, but that leaves the other 25 members of the delegation that are kind of still with McCarthy. Look, the, the, the question right now, and we're going to see this playing out, is what do rebels, including the three from Florida, what what do they really want here? Um, you know, the the McCarthy allies have been saying repeatedly and insisting adamantly that they've given in on a lot of the concessions that these 20 recalcitrant Republican House Republicans want. And there's going to come a point here where they're not drawing any more support. Um, so there's going to be a point where they're just going to be seen as obstinate, as grenade throwers. It's not about policy. It's not about House rules. It's becoming personal. And I think, you know, that that's going to put a lot of pressure on them, um, you know, especially if nobody else from their home state delegation crosses the picket lines to join. It's fascinating. Uh, Gates seems like, you know, he enjoys all of the being in the spotlight and, and I don't uh, see him uh, necessarily uh, wilting the pressure. Uh, we'll see what he does. He seems pretty dug in. Byron Donalds is fascinating, though. People have talked about Byron Donalds flipping from McCarthy to Jim Jordan, then himself, that maybe that's good politically for him, like in a potential primary, Antonio, if there's there's rumor that he might want to run statewide for something in Florida, and that if he's running in a Republican primary, supporting establishment candidate Kevin McCarthy um, might not be the best thing for him. I mean, is some of this, uh, you know, political positioning potentially? It's possible. Look, the fact of the matter is a lot more people know Byron Donalds, even in Florida, than they knew, they, they knew three days ago. And I, I have to say, I've seen all the interviews he's done. He equips himself very well. He's very articulate. He's very well-spoken. He, you know, he, he, so I, I think that it, it, the big winner out of all this may end up being Byron Donalds, who comes across now as, as a power broker to a certain extent, depending on how this works out, has gotten a lot of airtime, has, has used that airtime very effectively. And in fact, he may well have positioned himself for some sort of a higher office somewhere. Yeah, Byron Donalds is fascinating. He's only 44. Um, he's got a, uh, an interesting life story, child of a single mom. He's talked about how he was arrested at a young age for distributing marijuana and and uh, went on to you know uh, go, have a successful uh, career in business and got elected to the legislature before uh, uh, getting uh, elected to congress so um you, you know obviously uh, african american republican uh, sets him apart um and he's been very involved in uh, sort of school choice issues his wife is very uh, well known uh, in Florida, and he's close to DeSantis. He was can, uh, a lot of people thought that he was this uh, preference initially to uh, chair the the state uh, Republican Party uh, in 2018. Um, so you know he's got a lot of connections and goodwill in Florida, and this has really raised 
his profile. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with that if he if he decides to try and parlay that into something else in Florida or uh, something else um, in Congress. Well, it was no surprise in the governor's inaugural address that he promised to keep up his war on woke. And another target emerged this week when it was revealed that the governor had sent a letter to Florida colleges and universities asking for information on their diversity, equity and inclusion programs and anything dealing with critical race theory. John, uh, you know, Republicans love to bash liberal universities. This uh, seems like a prime target for DeSantis. Yeah, this does seem to be a thing for our uh, double Ivy educated governor. (laughs) DeSantis, uh, of course, a graduate of Yale and Harvard Law School, has been out to erase anything approaching liberal culture or anything that seems to challenge his view of a traditional America uh, on, on college campuses. Now, now you know, you, you'd mentioned that memo that he uh, sent to the colleges and universities. Just back to that Fox News motivator I spoke about earlier, it's notable that this uh, December 28th request that he sent to colleges and universities, um, it became news because it was uh, tweeted out by his one of his uh, communications people. Um, so uh, there, you know, there, it's almost like, uh, DeSantis clearly wanting to get news of this out there that he is making this demand to uh, colleges and universities. Why? Because this is the kind of stuff that just you know is ripped right from the script of uh, Tucker Carlson or something on Fox. So um, you know, I think undoubtedly uh, DeSantis is planning more in coming months. Especially uh, you know we we've seen now what he wants uh, generally in this memo, uh, demanding details about the costs and the methods used to implement campus diversity, equity, and inclusion programs. It's it's generally kind of seen as a prelude to the governor probably imposing more restrictions on how these institutions teach about race. Uh, it's it's not clear just yet how the governor plans to uh, next weigh into this issue, but his memo talked about how the information is needed for his planning and budgeting process. The, uh, the governor will be releasing his state budget recommendations by early February, so uh, it's likely that whatever he plans to do to further limit equity and inclusion programs on campuses, that it'll probably be somehow part of his budget. Uh, recommendation to the legislature. Uh, now, the governor, uh, you know, as as we've seen him roll so far, uh, he, he likes to talk about how Florida is where woke culture comes to die. But you know, frankly, so far, most of his efforts to wipe out wipe out woke have themselves been derailed in the courts. Uh, his signature Stop Woke Act, which the governor advanced to keep schools and workplaces from people. Uh, from, from feeling guilty for historic injustices that they were not responsible for, uh, you know, kind of like like white people uh, feeling uh, awkward when there's a discussion of slavery, uh, you know, in the workplace or something. Or it, again, workplaces maybe where where men have had historic advantages over women, and uh, you know, the, 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 when they're working on a diversity program. Is it possible that a man feels sort of a uh, you know singled out or uh, or guilty uh, for what has happened? Well, DeSantis somehow wants to stop those feelings from being felt, and uh, he would give people the power to sue if, uh, if if they felt guilty. So you know it's it's a very esoteric law that you know um, federal judges have blocked its use in the workplace and also at universities. The the judge that's kind of central to this, Mark Walker of Tallahassee, uh, he called uh, the Stop Woke Act positively dystopian for its limits on discussion of race, gender, and 
other topics in uh, university classrooms. And, and John, is this potentially kind of an end run around that? A judge sort of blocks this law from going into effect uh, in the university uh, system based on free speech issues and saying that uh, the speech of professors uh, and students is being curtailed here unconstitutionally. Uh, so this law it doesn't apply to universities anymore, or at least temporarily, while this court case is going forward. It looks like DeSantis maybe is looking to get at this another way here through the funding yeah. of these programs potentially yeah yeah i mean somehow it, it looks like he's looking to put some handcuffs on them you know so that they they can't be you know advanced within schools in any way how that yeah. happens is still a little unclear and again whether that does not subject even that budget element to a federal challenge of some kind or a state challenge, uh, that's kind of unknown either. So he's he's trying to thread the needle, I guess, here where he's already clanged into courts. And, uh, you know, when I mentioned Mark Walker, the federal judge in Tallahassee a moment ago, he also has a trial scheduled to start just next week on uh, another DeSantis-backed law, which requires what the governor had termed intellectual freedom surveys to be distributed on uh, to, to faculty, to students and employees at colleges and universities. Uh, th this is viewed as a strike against, uh, you know, liberals bullying conservatives on campus. That's the way I think the governor views it. But the United of Florida, that's the professor's union, they've uh, sued, claiming it's a First Amendment violation that's going to stifle open discussion on campuses. And uh, so we're going to have a trial on that beginning January 9th. Um, DeSantis uh, this year also signed a law that could make it more difficult for faculty to retain tenure which has been a standard at universities since uh, at least the 1940s. Tenure was enacted to, to blunt uh, political interference and give faculty the freedom to discuss and research uh, controversial topics without fear of uh, dismissal. But um, it seems like this governor likes to have that ability to interfere. Uh, and that new law that he signed also requires Florida universities to change accreditation agencies every five to 10 years. That provision also was viewed by critics as retaliation by DeSantis after the, the current agency that's being used by most schools in Florida, that, that it had criticized the University of Florida for attempting to deny two professors uh, the opportunity to testify as expert witnesses in a voting rights lawsuit. Um, so that accreditation change is still on the books, but the Biden administration's uh, education department has warned that um, the, the seemingly arbitrary requirement that they change agencies, that that could threaten federal funding to Florida universities and colleges and to uh, grant programs that are used in Florida. So, uh, you know, the, the, the door is still open on what's going to happen with that uh, agency switch that he wants. But um, the, the governor has had mixed results uh, so far when he's reached into colleges and universities, but he's he's clearly intent on doing more. And uh, this memo to school seems to be his latest swipe at them. Yeah. And, John, you mentioned earlier that in his inauguration address, address he was pretty vague on what kind of policies he would pursue in his uh, second term. But he did mention uh, universities in that address. He said, we must ensure quote, that our institutions of higher learning are focused on academic excellence and the pursuit of truth 
not the imposition of trendy ideology. So he was signaling even in that that he's going after uh, universities. And this letter is just uh, a further evidence of that. So I think that these, um, you know, the, these the, the war on woke is is definitely coming to campuses uh, in a big way, uh, probably this year and and beyond with DeSantis. Um, and uh, you know, it seems like that's an area where you know conservatives have long had issues with how universities uh, function and some of their their programs. And DeSantis has already pushed some things. Um, and you know, going back to Rick Scott, he had some battles with universities over offering liberal liberal different types of liberal arts degrees and making fun of some of the degrees that they got. So this is a, a, a deep vein. Uh, that conservatives have mined for a long time to try and, um, you know, kind of try and steer universities uh, in a more conservative direction. And it seems like DeSantis is going to go all in uh, um, uh, in his second administration here. Well, we'll move on to some numbers. Uh, Antonio, you want to tell us about yours? Sure. I had 81 and that is as in 81 percent. Look, Friday is the second anniversary of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. And last month, an NPR, PBS NewsHour, and Marist National Poll release found that more than 8 in 10 Americans, or 81%, believe there is a serious threat to our democracy. You know, that should not be surprising. Throughout the balance of 2022, a U.S. House committee released findings from its over-year-long investigation into the attack. And those findings were presented in 10 televised hearings, a 100-page executive summary, and an 800-page report. The committee's presentations were riveting, and they were compelling in presenting a case that former President Trump was at the center of what they alleged was a conspiracy to, to deceive the American people with basis claims of election fraud, and then how he abused his power by pressuring government officials to go along with the scheme, and then, in the final act, summoned the mob to the Capitol to try to stop the certification of the lawful 2020 election results. The committee's work has been politically damaging to Trump, and it's clear he no longer has a standing within among Republicans that he enjoyed throughout 2021, let alone the rest of the country. So January 6th, as one Florida political scientist told me, is one of the darkest days in American history. I guess it's then good to see that there is consensus in America about the country's democracy and that it has to be vigilantly protected. Except, yeah, you know there was a but coming here. That same Marist-conducted poll also showed that when asked which U.S. political party presents the bigger threat, there is an, almost an even split. 42% said Democrats, 41% said Republicans, and 8% say a pox on both houses. That speaks to a, still a very worrisome and dismaying division that makes consensus on January 6th kind of an illusion. And it speaks to the ongoing political chasm and polarization, as we saw even among Republicans in the U.S. House this week. So it's a new year, gentlemen, but many of the old year's, prob old year's problems have followed us into 2023. Yeah, and Trump's uh, ongoing lack of uh, diminishment of cloud is going to be a fascinating story to watch throughout this year, uh, obviously. Um, you know, I don't think that January 6th is, is hurting him with some of these hardline uh, lawmakers who are resisting him. Uh, his calls to support Kevin McCarthy 
for speaker, but uh, Mitch McConnell uh, seems to be happy to ignore him as well uh, and uh, was out um you know, with Biden uh, this week, uh, you know, touting uh, this, the infrastructure law that they passed. So uh, I, he has been uh, diminished, uh, you know, both. It, it seems like uh, even some of the hardline uh, ultra MAGA people are willing to ignore him. Um, and some of the more mainstream Republicans are willing to ignore him. And how does that factor into uh, his uh, his uh, uh, a re-election bid here uh, remains to be seen. John, you want to tell us about your number? Yeah, Zach, I came in with a 12, and 12 is the number of times Governor DeSantis mentioned the word freedom in his 16-minute inaugural address this week. So that's pretty close to one freedom per minute. And uh, that's not even counting his one-time reference to the free state of Florida, DeSantis' uh, signature line that he's made popular with those who uh, believe in his freedom forms. And uh, But the, the, the dozen freedom references really did uh, cover the gamut. Uh, there, there was a, a celebratory reference uh, him saying that freedom lives here. Uh, there was a, a rallying uh, freedom is worth fighting for, he said. And then, of course, there was an accusatory reference saying that other states, uh, you know, again, doubtlessly uh, states led by Democrats, had, quote, consigned their people's freedom to the dustbin. Uh, he, he also ticked off some arguable uh, kind of hard to define accomplishments like Florida is number one in economic freedom and uh, number one in education freedom. Uh, if you forgot that uh, DeSantis is thinking of running for president next year, reminded uh, inaugural listeners that the, the, the federal government, I guess that would be President Joe Biden, has, quote, eroded freedom. So, you know, so freedom or his defense of what he sees as freedom is clearly part of DeSantis's brand these days. Uh, now, you know, never mind that he's enacted laws that federal courts have found unconstitutional because, well, they violated constitutional freedoms, like uh, his anti-riot law, his his limits on social media platforms, some of his voter laws, and his uh, congressional redistricting map that eliminated a North Florida seat intended to give black voters a chance to elect a, a candidate of their choice. Those were all, uh, you know, points of freedom that uh, the DeSantis administration didn't agree with. So uh, he's still fighting in the courts over these rulings uh, that are all on appeal. But for the governor, freedom is what defines it to be. And uh, he sure did mention it a lot during his swearing in. All right. Lots of freedom. And DeSantis's second inaugural freedom and woke are definitely uh, two words where DeSantis is wearing the treads off of them these days. My number is uh, six, as in it's been six years since a member of Florida's congressional delegation chaired a committee in the House. Longboat key Republican Vern Buchanan is trying to change that. While the House right now is focused on the speaker's race, one of the subplots in this drama is who will chair key House committees after the next speaker is chosen. Buchanan is angling to become chair of the powerful House Ways and Means Committee, which is responsible for tax policy and also oversees big safety net programs such as Medicare and Social Security. Ways and Means is arguably the most important committee in the House, and Buchanan is the most senior Republican on the committee, making him a frontrunner for the chair position. Buchanan is a staunch ally of McCarthy. He has raised a ton of money for the National Republican Congressional Committee, uh, helping McCarthy elect lawmakers who are supporting his speaker bid. So whether McCarthy becomes speaker could impact whether Buchanan becomes Ways and Means chair and how much clout Florida has in Congress. 
Right now, Florida doesn't really have much committee clout at all, despite playing a key role in helping Republicans regain uh, the majority in Congress. The GOP picked up four additional congressional seats in Florida on their way to winning the majority by just five seats. Florida powered the GOP majority, which some are using to argue that the state's delegation should be repaid with a key committee chair. We'll see if the proves persuasive whenever Republicans finally pick a speaker. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio production guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. We're out of here. Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.